Welcome, my name is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus, and we thank you for taking some time to listen to some audio recordings from the pulpit of the Riverview Baptist Church. Our desire is to show the Lord high, holy, and lifted up, as well as try to be a blessing to those through the Word of God. Please enjoy this message, and we pray that it will be a blessing to your life. God would have to send judgment to bring their attention. After a while, they would cry out for a deliverer. God would send a deliverer. Then they would give peace and rest after a while. And then they would start all over again. And this vicious cycle kept going over and over and over. We have already talked about some of the judges. We've already went through Onethiel. Onothiel was the first judge and the only judge to be virtuous, or meaning that there was nothing wrong with him either morally or socially. After that, we had Ehud, which was the left-handed judge, which again, back then in that culture and that time, left-handedness was very frowned upon. It was considered to be defiled. After that, we had Shamgar, who Shamgar, praise the Lord, he had a great victory. He took his ox goad and this old cowboy went and defeated 600 Philistines. But his problem was, is that he did not continue in the battle and that we can't win the fight with just one battle. Remember, he stopped fighting and things became worse. After that, we have the dual judges of Deborah and Barak, that Deborah is the one who's leading them. Uh, Barak would consider to be the military chieftain, but he himself didn't want to go without Deborah, even though he had God's presence to him, that wasn't enough. And because of that, the honor that he was to get was not available. And it was taken by another woman by the name of Jael. Now we come to the next judge, the judge of Gideon. And we've already been introduced to Gideon. Remember the first time we saw him, he's hiding behind a wine press. He's, he's, uh, trying to grow crops because what has happened, the Midianites have come and they've destroyed everything. And he is a very fearful man where even Jesus Christ himself, the angel of the Lord, Jesus in pre-incarnate form, Jesus in the flesh comes and he talks with him and he gives him commandments, tells him what to do, tells him he's going to go with him. And yet Gideon required a sign. You know, what is better than signs and wonders? God's word. God's word should have been enough. And he didn't have to go look for signs and wonders. God's word should have been enough. Any experience could be great, but it's not God's word. Even Peter spoke about that in the book of 2 Peter chapter 1. He says, you remember the Mount of Transfiguration, I was there with James and John and we saw Jesus and he was talking with Moses and he was talking with Elijah. He says, then we saw Jesus turned inside out. He says, and then we heard the voice of God. He says, man, that was a great experience. But he says, we have a more sure word of prophecy. He said, if you had to choose between that experience and the word of God, you're better off with the word of God. We understand that the word of God is better and that it's better just to obey God's word. Remember that in the fight that we're in, that most of us are not choosing between the good and the bad. Meaning that after service, none of you are really planning, should I go next door to the bar or not? That's not the fight that you have. The fight that you have is between the good 
and the best. And the best is the never-ending pursuit of Jesus Christ. That if we're going to take the high road, we're going to choose the best things. And that's what we want, is the best things. Remember afterwards that God had lined up and by His Spirit, He brought in 32,000 people, 32,000 warriors. And God says, no, 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 no. I don't want you guys to get the credit. I want the credit. There's too many. So Gideon, who is already scared and fearful, Gideon, you go tell everyone who's scared to go home. 22,000 people walked out on him. Now, remember his character. He's already a scaredy cat. And to watch 22,000 people walk away and go home because they're too scared, he probably wanted to join them and say, you know, can I mix in? But God says, you got 10,000 left. It's still too many. And he dwindled it down to 300. And remember that in this battle here, only Gideon had a sword. The rest of them, they had their their lanterns and they had the trumpets and they put in this, uh, made it sound like there was a lot more than what there really was. And they, the uh, Midianites began to stab each other and they took off. And once they took off, some of the other tribes began to jump in. And now we find ourselves in the book of Judges and chapter number eight. Judges chapter 8, and if you don't mind, let's pick it up in the midst of this story, in the midst of this account, this historical event. And Judges chapter 8 and verse number 1. Judges chapter 8 and verse number 1, the word of God says this. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, Why hast thou served us thus, that when thou callest us not, when thou wentest to fight with the Midianites? And they, and they did chide him. Sharply, And he said unto them, what have I done now in comparison to you? Is not the gleaning of the grapes of Ephraim better than the vintage of Ebenezer? God hath delivered into your hands the princes of the Midianites, Oreb and Zeb. And what was I able to do in comparison of you? Then their anger was abated towards him. When he had said that and Gideon came to Jordan and passed over he and the 300 men that were with him faint yet pursuing them. And he said unto the men of Sukkoth, give, I pray you, loaves of bread unto the people that follow me, for they be faint. And I am pursuing after Zeba and Zalmanah, kings of Midianites, uh, kings of Midian. And the princes of Sukkoth said, are the hands of Zebub and Zomana now in thine hand that we shall give bread unto thine army? And Gideon said, therefore, we, <laughs> therefore, when the Lord had delivered Zebia and Zomana into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and with briars. And he went up thence to Penel and came unto them likewise. And the men of Penel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered him. And he spoke also unto the men of Penel, saying, When I come again in peace, I will break down this tower. Now Zeba and Zomana were in Karkor, and their host with them, about 15,000 men, all that were left of the host of the children of the east. For there fell 120,000 men that drew sword. And Gideon went up by the way of them that dwelt in the tents on the east of Nova and Jogbatha and smote the host for the host was secure. And when Zeba and Zalmana fled, he pursued after them and took two kings of Midian, Zeba and Zalmanan, and discomforted all the host. 
And Gideon, the son of Joash, returned from battle before the sun was up and caught a young man of the men of Sukkoth and inquired of him. And he described unto him the princes of Sukkoth and the elders thereof, even threescore and seventeen men. And he came unto the men of Sukkoth and said, Behold, Zebanah and Zomana, <coughs> with whom ye did abrade me, saying, are the hands of Zebna and Zomana now in the, thine hand <laughs> that we should give bread unto the men that are weary? And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars. And with them he taught the men of Sukkoth. And he beat down the tire, uh, tower of Penel and slew the men of the city. Then said he unto Zebna and Zomana, What manner of men were they whom ye slew at Tabar? And they answered as thou art, so were they. Each one resembled the children of a king. And he said, they were my brethren, even as the sons of my mother. As the Lord liveth, if ye had saved them alive, I would not slay you. And he said unto Jether, his firstborn, up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword, for he feared because he was yet a youth. Then Zebna and Zomana said, Rise thou and fall upon us, for as the man is, so is his strength. And Gideon arose and slew Zebna and Zomana and took away the ornaments that were on the camel's necks. Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you, neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. For they had golden earrings because they were Ishmaelites. And they answered, We will willingly give them. And they spread a garment and did cast therein every man the earrings of his prey. And the weight of the golden earrings that he requested were a thousand and seven hundred shekels of gold, beside ornaments and collars, purple raiment that were on the kings of the Midian, beside the chains that were about their camels' necks. And Gideon made an ephod thereof and put it in his city, even in Orpha. And all of Israel went thither a whoring after it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Thus was Midian subdued before the children of Israel. So they lifted up their heads no more. And the country was in quietness 40 years in the days of Gideon. And Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. And his concubine that was in Shechem, she also bare him a son, whose name he called Abimelech. And Gideon, the son of Joash, died in a good old age, and was buried in the sepulcher of Joash, his father, in Orpha of the Aborizanites. And it came to pass, as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a-whoring after Balaam, and made baal Bereth their god. And the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their god, who had delivered them out of the hands of all their enemies on every side. Neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, namely Gideon, according to all the goodness which he had showed 
unto Israel. And if you're in the habit of marking things in your Bible, would you mark a phrase that we find in the book of Judges and chapter number 8? The book of Judges in chapter number 8, and in verse number 5, notice the phrase, Neither showed they kindness to Gideon. We Remember the word Jerubbabel is another name for Gideon, so we'll just... Uh, highlight this, neither showed they kindness to the house of Gideon. Neither showed they kindness to Gideon. And with this, if you're going to subtitle this, we're going to cover the idea of Gideon's judgeship. Gideon's judgeship. If you don't mind, let's go to the Lord together and let's pray. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you so much again for the great privilege to be in your word once again. Thank you for the great privilege it is to dive into your word and to learn. And Lord, we're asking that you would help us to glean from your word. That we could respond properly. That we can learn what we're supposed to do. And, and, and how to treat leadership correctly. Lord, Again, I don't dare trust my own with the physical ailments I currently have, with the things going on. I know I am not capable of delivering your message. So the best I know how I surrender myself to you, my throat, my back, my mind, my thoughts. And I give them to you. And I beg that you fill me with your precious spirit. For the purpose that you would get your own work accomplished through your word tonight. And in Jesus' name we pray, amen. As we go through the book of Judges, we want to remind you that the theme of the book of Judges is that every man did what was right in his own eyes. That basically what happened is that everyone said, well, I believe this is right. I don't care what you say. I don't care what the preacher says. I don't care what the man of God says. I don't care what the Bible says. I'm going to do it because this is what I want to do. And as we look through the book of Judges, we find a country, a society in chaos. You can't have a society without rules. You can't have a society without structure and organization. You can't have a society where everyone just does what they feel like doing. There has to be order. There has to be structure. And as we go through the book of Judges, it's almost like the book of 1st and 2nd Corinthians inside of the New Testament. 1st and 2nd Corinthians are books that are recording all the things this church is doing wrong. So if anybody goes to the book of Judges and anybody goes to the book of 1st or 2nd Corinthians and they say, hey, that's what I do. That's not bragging points. It's showing this is what's wrong. It's identifying what is wrong in this society over here and in the New Testament, what is wrong in this church over here. And it is saying if you are or someone is doing these things and they're behaving like this, there is something wrong. And that's what we find here. In Gideon's leadership, his judgeship, he is the biblical leader. But we also find here that they did not treat the biblical authority correctly. And it created more anarchy. It created an environment where more things went wrong. Even inside of an authority that was supposed to bring order. As we go through here, let's examine this text, if you don't mind, in the book of Judges chapter 8. And the first thing we want to see here is the discouragements while chasing victory. The discouragements while chasing victory. You want to know when Satan hits you the hardest? 
right after a victory or right in the midst of the victory. When you're not expecting it, when, when you have your back turned, when you want to relax for a second. What had happened is that remember this great thing that Gideon and his 300 men had showed up and without firing a shot, they scattered an army of 120 something thousand people with just 300 men. You can't tell me that's not a great victory. Wouldn't you be hooping and hollering? Or would you say, oh, well, it's not a big deal. It was a big deal. And now they're chasing the people. Remember that the other tribes came out. Ephraim came out. They tried to block the Jordan passes so they couldn't cross the Jordan River. Some of the other people came out. But it was Gideon and his 300 who were chasing after them. They are in the midst of victory. They're trying to finally get rid of the last two leaders of this army. They're chasing them down. And would you know it while they're chasing victory? Here's some discouragements. Notice the first discouragement that comes up. Verse number uh, one, chapter eight, verse number one. This first discouragement comes from the Ephraimites, the, from Ephraim. Verse number one. And the men of Ephraim said unto him, why hast thou served us thus that we callest us not? That thou callest us not when we wentest to fight with the Midianites and they did chide him sharply. What happened is that you have Ephraim and they're offended. I just can't believe that, that when you were gathering up this army, you didn't even call us. How dare you just left us out. I just, why did you call us? It's always amazing what people are offended over. And they're offended over something that's not even a big deal. You know what would have happened to the army of Ephraim, by the way? If he called them like the rest of them, they would have still been too much. God wasn't looking for numbers he was looking to show that he is God. You want to know what would happen to Ephraim? They would have showed up. Instead of having 32,000 men, they would have had 42,000, 52,000. And you know what God would have said? Tell anyone who's scared to go home. And so guess what? The Ephraimites would have been part of the crowd that went home. So, you know, they're offended over something that's in their own mind. By the way, Ephraim is going to be a tribe that is full of pride. And even in the when the two the kingdom is divided, the northern kingdom is often called Ephraim because it is the biggest, the whiniest, the, the one that carries the most pride. And they're they're poking up here and they're offended over something small. There is nothing more discouraging, it seems like, that as soon as you have victory... Someone wants to come out and they want to be offended over something that's trivial, over something that's not that big. Pastor, you didn't shake my hand. Now, I know you guys wouldn't do that, but it does happen. He didn't shake my hand. There's, there's something wrong. And you know what? The pastor's excited. Look, we've had visitors. We've got people got saved. And you got the person who's waiting back there because the pastor said something wrong. I mean, it happens. It does happen that, that the discouragements come. Notice... If that as he deals with these things up here, he deals with people differently. He deals with them according to how they need to be dealt with. Verse number two. And he, that's Gideon, said unto them, what have I done in comparison to you? Is not the gleaning of grapes better than of Ephraim, better than the vintage of Abiezer? Remember, Abiezer is his family. He says, I'm nothing to you. Man, you guys have better crops. You have better grapes. That's what he's comparing to. You guys got better grape juice. You got better everything. I mean, why are you so mad? You're better than me. Verse number three. 
Had God delivered your hands into the princes of the Midianite, Oreb and Zreb? And what was I able to do in comparison to you? Then their anger was abated towards them when he said that. So he goes, hey, we just chased him. You're the guys who cut him off and stopped him and killed him. I mean, who am I? You guys did all the work. You know, there's something in the Bible that talks about that a soft word turneth away wrath. How did he deal with these people who are offended? We spoke to them softly. And we have to remember to, to deal with people. Uh, that we understand that people are going to be offended. There's nothing wrong with taking the wrong. The Bible talks about in 2 Corinthians. To take the wrong. Okay, I'm sorry I messed up. Even if you didn't do anything wrong. Just to say, I'm sorry. I, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Just to allow them <laughs> to feel better. And that's what they did. Let's stop the fight here. Let's not blow it up. I'll take the wrong. Okay, I'm sorry. Man, I'm nothing. You guys are the great. You guys are the good guys here. So he dealt with them softly and he turned away their wrath. And we don't have to deal with Ephraim there. But the discouragements weren't over. He takes his 300 men in verse number four. And Gideon came to Jordan and passed over. He and the 300 men that were with him faint. That word faint, remember, carries the idea of, of quitting and pursued them. They've been chasing these guys. And after a while, they haven't eaten anything. They didn't have provisions. They're just chasing after the army. They're still chasing after. And they're getting tired. And some of you guys can't go all day without a meal. Imagine fighting and all that other stuff. And they're tired. They're hungry. I mean, they don't want to quit. But they're, they're, their bodies are giving out. They're tired. So he turns to a... A city that's supposed to be one of their allies. It's supposed to be one of the places where you could go for refuge. It's supposed to be one of the places where you can go and get some help. So he said unto the men of Sukkoth, Give, I pray thee, loaves of bread to the people that follow me, for they be faint. For I'm pursuing after Zeba and Zalmanah. If you ever need names to name your kids, here's two Z names for you right there. Kings of Midian. So he asked a reasonable request. He's not asking tribute. He's not asking for things. He just says, hey, me and the boys, we've been fighting. We're chasing right out. The kings are over there. We're trying to get to them. Can you guys give us some food so we could finish the job? That's a reasonable request, especially since he is actually God-given authority. He's not asking anything above and beyond. He's just saying, Let's, can you give us some food so we can go finish the job? Unfortunately... Here's the discouragement. Verse number six. And the princes of Sukkoth said, Are the hands of Zebedah and Zomanen now in thine hand that we should give thee bread unto thine enemy? Now, later on, it says the word abrade. That carries the idea of ridicule. So what they said, you know what? We'll give you bread as soon as you finish the job. I mean, they're right there. You go finish the job and then we'll take care of you. Now, that's kind of discouraging, isn't it? I mean, especially you're hungry, you don't have any food, you guys, you want to finish the army, but they're physic. Uh, you want to finish the job, but the army's physically weak, and you go and say, can you give us some bread, can you lend us something? No, 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 you go finish the job first, and we'll take care of you, the job's not done, we'll take care of you when the job is done. Well, that's not very encouraging, is it? Now, they're doing it... Uh, because of immaturity, because of disobedience. This is a thing. They're being disobedient to God-given authority. It has already been recognized that Gideon has already been chosen 
uh, by God to deliver them. He's already got the deliverance. He's still finishing the job. They are purposely being disobedient to authority. So notice what happens. Verse 7. And Gideon said, therefore, when the Lord hath delivered Zebedah and Zomana into my hand, then I will tear your flesh with the thorns of the wilderness and the briars. Now, that's a pretty big threat. But he said, listen here. I'm going to go finish the job, and then I am going to come back. And you're not going to like it when I get back. And he's going to take care of it. But that was a discouragement. He's him and his boys are, are hungry. They're chasing after the army. And this city says, no, we're not. Go finish the job, and then we'll take care of you. And they, they did it with ridicule. It was a sneering thing. I'm trying to finish the job. I need equipped. So they go to the next city of Pinnell. Notice what happens now in verse... Uh, Number eight, and he went up thence to Penel and spake unto them likewise. And the men of Penel answered him as the men of Sukkoth had answered them. Now, once again, he gets the same answer. They're ridiculing him. But this time, instead of just being disobedient, they're doing it more out of pride. That's why the, uh, the effect of it, the tower is going to be destroyed down. Basically, they're like, yeah, we're not going to feed you. And what are you going to do about it? <laughs> Okay, so he answered them in verse number nine. And he spake unto the men of Penel, saying, when I come again in peace, meaning when I finish the job, I'm going to break down this tower. Now, he's very clear. He says, I'm going to come back and we're going to deal with things when I get back after I take care of this victory. Now, notice he didn't take care of it. He went to go finish and get the victory. And then he came back to deal with it. But this stuff had to be dealt with because it is disobedience. Not to Gideon, but to God, because he's the one who appointed the authority. Notice as we go on, we see the discouragements of chasing victory. Now we come to the idea of the retribution upon the discouragements. Now Gideon goes and captures the guys uh, in verses 11 through 13. For the sake of time, I'm going to kind of just explain. He captures the guys. And then in verse 13, uh, verse 14 he goes back after he's captured the guy. He's, he hasn't killed them yet, but he drags them back. Remember what the, the people of Sukkoth and Penel said. When you go finish the job, you know, when you actually capture these kings, then we'll take care of you. So he said, I'm not going to kill these guys. <laughs> you come with me. I'll show them. Hey, I got them. Notice in verse 14, we see this retribution upon this discouragement. And he caught a young man of the men of Sukkoth and inquired of them. That carries the idea. He questioned them. And describe, and he, that's the man who was captured, described unto him the princes of Sukkoth and the elders thereof, even three score and seventeen men. Remember, a score is twenty, so three times twenty is sixty. Sixty plus seventeen would be the idea of seventy-seven. So they had the ruling council of seventy-seven guys who had decided that they were going to disobey. So Gideon says, all right, who are these guys? You let me know. We're going to go take care of it. Verse 15. And he came to the men of Sukkoth and said, Behold, Zebedah and Zomana, who ye did upbraid me, saying, Are the hands of Zebedah and Zomana now in thine hand that we should give bread unto thy men that are weary? And he says, All right, you ask me where they are. Here they are. And he took the elders of the city and thorns of the wilderness and briars and with them, he taught the men of Sukkoth. What does it mean to teach them? It means to correct them. Literally, you guys remember the old days? Some of you are old-fashioned enough. Go pick your switch. <laughs> he went out to the briars, picked a switch, and he took these grown men and he gave them a whooping. Why? He did it to teach them. 
He's correcting their behavior. He's correcting their disobedience to biblical authority. By the way, disobedience to biblical authority does need to be taken care of. Now, it's not fun, but it has to be taken care of. Because remember, this is a period of anarchy. There has to be order. And so it needed to be dealt with, needed to be taken care of. So now he goes to the next city, Penel, verse 17. And he beat down the tower of Penel and slew the men of the city. Why did he do this? Because this wasn't just disobedience. It was now coupled with pride. He destroyed the tower, which was their source of the pride. And he is taking care of these men. They're, uh, he's carrying out this word. You say, this isn't very encouraging. Well, it's a discouraging time. But hold on, we're going to get to stuff. But it's going to get worse before it gets better. So he lines up Zebna and Zolna after he's got the victory. He's got these two guys up. He's, dis- he's gone back and taken care of these disobedient folks, to- disobedient to biblical authority. Now we see something that's gotten worse. We see the wrong way to honor their leader. The wrong way to honor their leader. Now it starts off as they have Zebra and Zolna. He sees them and he questions them and they admit their faults. And then in verse 20, he says to Jether, his firstborn, up and slay them. But the youth drew not his sword for he feared and he was yet a youth. Now, here's this young man. It's his son. And he says, all right, you need to take care of business. You know, older generations should be teaching the younger generation how to go, how to carry themselves, how to be men. Unfortunately, this guy said no. You know what's going to happen is that they're going to end up having to fight. And this young man's not going. Now, whatever you say about this, this is just leading in to something that's worse. So they take care. Gideon ends up having to dispatch these two leaders themselves. And now in verse 22... Then the men of Israel said unto Gideon, Rule thou over us, both thou and thy son, and thy son's son also, for thou hast delivered us from the hand of Midian. What had happened here is that the people attempted to make him king, which was outside of God's will. They came up and said, Oh, come on, you be our king. You deserve it. Look at all the things that you did. You deserve it. They wanted to encourage him to do something that was outside of God's will. And he denied it, thankfully. That's what he should have done. Notice as he answers in verse 23. And Gideon said unto them, I will not rule over you. Neither shall my son rule over you. The Lord shall rule over you. That was the whole purpose anyways. Remember, there is no king at this time. But that's because God had designed it to be a theocracy. What is a theocracy? It is a government ruled by God. What God had intended is for each and every person to look to God for themselves, find his will, and obey it. Rather than having some man tell them what God's will is, they were supposed to find God's will for themselves. You know, it's always easier to have someone tell you what to do rather than find God's will for yourself. And so they want it here. You be in charge. We'll put you in charge. You tell us what to do. But he said, no, God's job is to rule over you. 
But this is where Gideon went off. And again, they're honoring Gideon wrong. Verse 24, And Gideon said unto them, I would desire a request of you, that you would give me every man the earrings of his prey. And so they collect an earring. They basically take a big blanket and they give their earrings. And they give them a whole bunch. I forgot how much money this is. But it is in the hundreds of thousands of dollars of money. And they take all these earrings and they melt it down. And he melts it into what a golden ephod. Now if ephod is a priestly garment, kind of like a breastplate, that often a priest would use as a ceremonial garment to pray and get a hold of God. He would not take the kingship, but what that he allowed them to do was to make him a priest. To make him the person who could communicate with God. And then he tells him what God's will is. So he traded one thing to another. And by the way they let him do it. Not only did they let him do it. They joined him in worshipping this stupid garment. Notice as it goes on in verse number 27. And Gideon made an ephod thereof. And put it in his city even in Orephah. And all Israel went there their whoring. After it, which thing became a snare unto Gideon and to his house. Now, remember this whole time, I'm not I'm not justifying Gideon. Gideon is wrong in these things, but it's not just him. It is the people that are working with him. It's the people that are with him that are creating this environment that they start worshiping this garment and they say, oh, great garment. Oh, tell me what I'm supposed to do. Oh, this is my direct line to God. Oh, this is what I'm supposed to. And they go after it and they start worshiping. They want answers. You know, it's almost like uh, the picture of Mary in her tortilla ship. And everyone comes and if they could just get a piece of this tortilla chip. Oh, if they could just get to this fountain, then all their wishes would come true. If they could just get to this thing over here. And they made it an idol where they believed it had supernatural powers. I'm sure no uh, culture would do that in today's society, right? But that's what they did. And again, Gideon is not right, but they are honoring their leader wrong. They should have said, you know... We, we need to get a hold of God ourselves. <laughs> we don't need this priestly garment. We don't need this. They allowed him. They honored him. They're doing it to honor him. Oh, sure, Gideon. Whatever you want. We have no problems if you do this. They're honoring him the wrong way. And then it gets worse. So Gideon allows them to have rest. Because of his judgeship. They have rest in the land for 40 years. And when we deal with rest. It's, it has the idea of that there's no wars. There's no Philistines marching across land. There's no Midianites who's taken all the crops. But there's not very much spiritual rest here. We come to the last thing that we see here. The immorality of the people. The immorality of the people. It goes on and explains what Gideon's judgeship is like. Verse number 29. And Jerubbabel, the son of Joash, went and dwelt in his own house. And Gideon had threescore and ten sons of his body begotten, for he had many wives. Now remember, a score is twenty. Three times twenty is sixty. Add another ten, seventy. How would you like to have seventy kids? And have that many wives? Could you imagine the turmoil that is in his home 
Could you imagine the craziness going on? Now, once again, the people have developed an immorality society that this isn't a big deal. Oh, our leader has so many wives. It's no, he deserves it. Oh, man, it's a thing of prestige. No, it's showing how despicable the thing is right here. That everything is immorality and the people are participating in it. And it's not just Gideon, by the way. Gideon is wrong, but it is the society. It is the people lined up behind him that has the immorality. You know, it is very hard for a biblical leader to stay right when no one else wants to do right. It is very hard for a biblical leader to do what is right when no one wants to do right. For example, let's bring it down to the house of God. It is hard for a pastor to keep soul winning when no one wants to go. It's hard for a pastor to, to encourage the people to keep looking up to God when no one wants to do it. You understand? It's hard for a pastor to get everyone to sing when no one wants to sing, right? You understand that a biblical leader, after a while, there's so many preachers, and I know them and you know them, that used to be good people, but they get tired of the fight. We shouldn't have to fight people to do what God's will is. We shouldn't have to drag people. All right, read your Bible. Do you know that one of the most basic things in all of the Bible and all of the Christian life to do is to read the Bible? But you know what most preachers have to spend most of their time on? Read your Bible, read your Bible, read your Bible. Why do we say that? Because if people would actually learn to get a hold of God themselves, a lot of things can get solved in their life. Our job is to teach them how to search for God. Preacher, I feel like I got to go somewhere else. Have you been in your Bible? No, but this is what I feel like. Be in your Bible! You know, after a while, preachers get tired of fighting. And so they give up. But again, it's not just the biblical leader. It's the society. You know, if, if, if people said, hey, preacher, I've been reading the Bible and I know God wants us to go soul winning. Will, will you go with me? I don't know a single preacher who's worth his soul. So sure, let's go. You know, how come we don't have people that's going to the preacher? Man, I, I'm just convinced we, we got to go tell more people. Can, can we go? Usually it's preacher said, all right, we got soul winning 930 on Saturday. Is anybody going to show up? I need a partner. Will you go with me? It shouldn't be a fight. It shouldn't be a fight. But you know what's happening? A pastor. Someone said this, that a leader that no one is following is just on a long walk. And we can't drag everyone. There has to be a willingness. You know what a church is designed to do? A pastor's job is to teach people to seek after God. And then the church, as they say, yes, we've gone to God. God, the, God is in it. We're not doing it just because pastor wants to. We believe this is what God wants us to do. By the way, God's not going to tell you something different than he tells me. And he wants us to go together because we believe it's God's will. Instead of the pastor begging and prodding and whatever else. And this is the idea of the biblical leadership. Now, again, I'm not giving Gideon a buy. He is guilty. But there's a society that's set up that, that they're all immoral. So it's easy just to act like the people because it's tired of just standing out. Notice as it goes on. In verse 33, and it came to pass as soon as Gideon was dead, that the children of Israel turned again and went a whoring after Balaam and Baal Barith, their God. 
you know, here it carries the idea, his body isn't even cold yet. And they said, all right, we're going back to this God. You know, that's horrible not to honor, just allow a little bit of time. Dr. Lee Robertson was one of the great giants of the faith of the 1900s. In 1930, around that time, 1930, 1940, he was the pastor uh, down in Tennessee, and he became an independent Baptist by conviction. He led the Highland Park Baptist Church out of the Southern Baptist Convention into an independent Baptist because he saw where the Southern Baptist Convention was going. He could already see the corruption. He could already see the seminaries and what they're teaching, and he knew where it was going. And he said, we can't be a part of that. For 40 years, he was the pastor of that church. He started Tennessee Temple Schools. He trained thousands of preachers. And when he resigned in 1984, the same day he resigned, they put the NIVs back in their Sunday school. The day that he died at their funeral, they announced that we're going back into the Southern Baptist Convention. They didn't even let his corpse get cold. They're, they're at the gravesite, and I know because we were there at his graveside, we're now going back to the Southern Baptist Convention. That's what they did here. That as soon he was, they were just waiting for Gideon to go so they could go back to do what they wanted in the first place. You see, it's a heart matter. Their heart was over there. They're just doing what they're supposed to because, you know, I'm going to get checked on. It's a heart matter. It's a heart matter. Notice this. Verse 34, and the children of Israel remembered not the Lord their God who had delivered them out of the hands of all of their enemies. I mean, they forgot God. They dropped him. That was the main thing. They just didn't want God to rule over them. They forgot him. They purposely forgot him. They said, ah, forget these other things here. They went after something else because that's what they wanted. Verse 35, neither showed they kindness to the house of Jerubbabel, namely Gideon, according to the goodness which he had showed all of Israel. Hey, we know that Gideon was not perfect, but you know that he made the hall of faith in Hebrews chapter 11. God honored him. As much as he had moral failures, he was a man that still trusted God by faith, even though he was fearful. Even though by faith... Uh, he may have had some moral fa failings. Forty years he was the man God used to protect and deliver Israel. What a horrible thing that they said they didn't show him kindness. Now again, I said, this is, this is all bad. <laughs> this is all bad things. How are we supposed to react? How are we supposed to, to um, respond to this? Well, turn with me to the New Testament passage in the book of Hebrews chapter number 13. Now, remember what I told you before, the book of Judges and the book of First and Second Corinthians are dealing with people who are wrong. And we're not supposed to be like that. These are bad examples. These are examples of what not to do. So let's turn it to the positive. What are we supposed to do? How are we supposed to honor the biblical leaders? How are we supposed to, as people, to respond to biblical authority? Well, let's see what the Bible has to say. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 13. The book of Hebrews, chapter number 13. And if you don't mind, let's start in verse number 17. The book of Hebrews, chapter 13, in verse 17, it says this. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch for your souls, as they must give an account that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable to you. Now, we're going to go on, but let's hit this verse here. 
What is your responsibility to biblical authority? To obey them that have the rule over you. And submit yourselves. Remember, submission is a heart matter. What is the difference between compliance and submission? We've used this illustration before. It's a matter of the heart. For example, you go tell a child, go clean your room. And they stomp off. (laughs) Did they obey? Are they submitted? The answer is no, because it is a heart issue. How do you tell the difference between uh, compliance and submission? You remove biblical authority and see what they do. There are some people who are naturally compliant and they'll do it because that's what they're told to. But you remove biblical authority and they go crazy. That is a heart issue. They were not submitted. When we obey, you're not supposed to obey because it's what pastor wants me to do. It's your relationship with the Lord. I'm doing it because I love God. I'm doing it with my heart. Obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Now, because God knows that we're, we act like little children all the time. He, he already knows what you're going to say. Why? Remember, when you see that word for, oftentimes you can ask the question why, and you see the reason. So, God says, obey them that have the rule over you and submit yourselves. Why? For they watch uh, for your souls. You know what? The biblical authority that God gives to you, God has given to you because they watch out for your souls. They're guarding you. You know what the... The biggest heartache in the ministry is, is that the pastors want more for people than what they want for themselves. That pastors want more for their people than what they want for themselves. So a pastor looks and he says, I could see where God wants you, but you're going a different direction. Move, move. Go over here. It's better. I don't know how many years, uh, uh, how many times. Years in the past, I would counsel someone and say, all right, this is what the Bible says. You need to obey this. Five years later, their lives in erect. And I'm almost like, if you would have did what I told you to do five years ago, you wouldn't be here. That's part of what a pastor does. He could see where you're going. He's watching for your souls. He's trying to shepherd you, trying to put you to the thing. Why should I obey the pastor? Why should I submit myself? Because they're watching out for you. They care enough for you. They're trying to direct you where you're supposed to go. Notice this for them as they must give an account. Who do we give an account to? To God. Do you know that I have to give an account for what I teach and what is being taught in this church? How you're being directed, how you're I'm I have to stand before God. Let me tell you, none of you want to stand before God with that kind of accounting. I'm I'm. I'm thankful that God's put us here, but that's a fearful thing. That's a weight to stand before God and say, I did what I was supposed to do, or I'm sorry, I didn't tell them, I didn't correct them, I didn't warn them, I didn't whatever. Now, we're not responsible for what people do. We're responsible for what we teach and what we counsel. And that's big enough. Notice as it goes on, that they must give an account, that they may do it with joy and not with grief, for that is unprofitable for you. You know, a pastor, a happy pastor, is a profitable pastor. The word profitable means it's good for you. That means it benefits you. It means if you're obeying and the pastor you pastor directs you and you obey the pastor and the pastor could see where you're uh, going that's the right thing, praise the Lord, they're doing what they're supposed to. Oh, God's going to bless them. But when they go shepherding and or they go off a different direction and the, the pastor's trying to chase them down, no, go this way, they go this way. He is broken hearted. 
And he knows where you're going and sees where what's going to happen. And that makes it a broken heartedness. And that becomes unprofitable when a pastor has been begging, please don't go that way. Please don't go that way. I know what's going down there. That hurts him. And it is hard with that broken hearted, especially when everyone's scattering. Just kind of like what was happening in the period of Judges. Notice as the Bible goes on. Here, I believe the Apostle Paul is writing this under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. And notice this. He goes from the idea, obey them that have the rule over you. And then as a pastor himself, he is saying in verse 18, pray for us. What is your responsibility? Not only are you supposed to submit and obey, but to pray for us. Why? Again, here's that question. Pray for us. Why should we pray for you, pastor? For we trust that we have a good conscience and all things willing to live honestly. You need to pray for your pastor that he is the biblical leader he ought to be. If you pray for your pastor, you'll be less likely to be murmuring and gossiping against him. It's hard to do that. That crazy pastor, I hate him. God bless him. It just doesn't work. If you're praying for your pastor as you ought, it'd be very hard for you to get sideways with him if you're praying for him like you should. Even if your pastor goes crazy, Lord, I love my pastor, please correct him. <laughs> but you're allowing God to do that. Pray for him. He says, why? So we can live in a good conscience. A, a pastor who believes he's doing everything that he's supposed to do in the Lord's will, that is a good pastor. It has a clear conscience that says, I'm doing what I'm supposed to do. That's your responsibility. The p- people... How do you respond to biblical authority properly instead of dishonoring and not honoring them the correct way and and forgetting? How are you supposed to obey them for they watch over your souls? Pray for them so they can have a good conscience. Verse number 19. But I beseech you, I beg you the rather to do this, that I may be restored to you sooner. Rather to do what? Here's has this this. It's going back to praying. He says, pray for me. Keep praying for me. That I could come back to you. That I could spend time with you. This is the Apostle Paul saying, I want to come back to you. I, I want to come back to this church. I want to come back and help you out. Pray for me. So that way I have a good conscience. Pray for me. That I could be a better help to you. Pray for me. This is what I'd rather you to do. Pray. Notice verse 20. Now the God of peace that brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. He's saying, all right, you remember that God of peace. Aren't you glad to have peace? He says, that God of peace who brought back Jesus, that God, uh, and talks about the Lord Jesus, who is that great shepherd of the sheep through the blood of the everlasting covenant. He says, you know what I want for you? I want the God of peace to make you perfect in every good work to do his will. That word perfect has the idea to make complete or whole or spiritually mature. He says, you know what I'm praying to God for you is that you become spiritually mature to do His will. He says, I'm praying for you that you do God's will. He says, I'm praying that this God working in you, that is well pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ to be glory to God ever and ever. Amen. You know what Paul does as he brings, removes himself out of the way. He says, don't look at me. He says, look at God. You see, it all begins with God. It all ends with God. God is the goal. Do you know, and we talked about this in Sunday school this morning, that when you are not right with biblical authority, you are not right with God. Because it is God that established a biblical authority. 
if you are right with God, you will be right. If God is in his rightful place, you will be right with biblical authority. You see, it's all about God. You see, I, let me tell you a secret, you know this, I am not perfect. I'm not perfect. I make mistakes. I can do goofball things. I can mess up. You shouldn't obey me because I am perfect. You shouldn't obey me because of who I am. It's because of the office that God has set because of God. You obey biblical authority not because authority is right, because authority is perfect, because authority will never sin. You obey biblical authority because of who God is. It shows that you're willing to trust God to work in people's lives. That even if biblical authority is wrong, you can still be right because of who God is. You see, what we're telling you is to remove the middleman out of the way and see your responsibility towards God. It is all about God. If God is in his rightful place, everything else will fall in line. You know, and we as preachers, you know what our responsibility is? Is not to say, look at me, not look at me, obey me, follow me. My job is to say, you look at God and you obey him. It is him. It is all about him. I beg people, don't put me on a pedestal. Because I don't want God to knock me off to get your eyes off me and on him. Just look at him in the first place. Stay looking at him. It is all about God. It is all about him. He is the one you have to answer to. Not me. It is him. It's all about God. And so Paul is praying here. He says, let me remind you to keep your eyes on Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. It is God that's going to make you perfect. It is God who's going to help do a good work. It is God that is working in you to be well-pleasing to him. It is God. Get your eyes off the man and get your eyes on the God. Remove all secondary causes and look straight at God. What is our responsibility in dealing with biblical leadership? It's not to put the pastor on a pedestal. It's not to give him quote-unquote, free reign to go do other things outside of God's will. It's to obey the Lord and to get behind what God is doing so that the biblical authority can do their role in guiding you and shepherding you to the way it's supposed to be. This is our responsibility and your responsibility. Keep looking at God. Keep looking at Jesus. Don't look at the man because the man will disappoint you. When you look at others, you get disappointed. When you look at yourself, you get discouraged. When you look at the Lord, you stay encouraged. Keep your eyes on him. Thank you for listening to this audio message. This is Pastor Scotty Bockhaus. And I encourage you to take this information that you just received and make a specific decision to follow after the Lord. If you don't know Jesus Christ as your Savior, let me beg you to take the time to receive Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins. If you are saved, I encourage you to make a decision in your life to help you get closer with the Lord. If there's anything specific we can do to be a blessing or to pray for you, we encourage you. Look us up on the internet at riverviewbc.com. Once again, that's riverviewbc.com. Or if you would prefer to call us, you can give us a call at area code 920 five three zero six three oh eight once again that number is nine two zero 
530-630-6308. If there's anything we can do to be a blessing or an encouragement to you, please let us know. We would love to make ourselves available. Thank you.